The Sophia Gray Show. (laughs) (laughs) Hello, listeners and kinky friends. Welcome to The Sophia Gray Show, where we discuss all things sex, kinks, and fetishes. From the sex stories to the latest trends in the erotic world, we talk taboo transparently. This podcast is brought to you by Sophia Gray, the largest used underwear marketplace. I'm Lacey Bloom, and I'm sad to say that my dearest Tracy Bust will be sitting out the next few episodes. Honestly, Tracy has an amazing opportunity ahead of her, so I'm super excited for what she's working on. She will return before the month is out, and in the meantime, I've got a lot of great content in store for you, starting today with a special steamy interview. Today, I'm joined by a woman who wears many, many hats, author, journalist, and erotica writing teacher, to name a few. Her work can be found in publications like Forbes, Harper's Bazaar, The New York Times, and Men's Health. And as if that wasn't enough, she has edited over 60 anthologies, including The Big Book of Orgasms, The Best Women's Erotica of the Year series, and Come Again, Sex Toy Erotica. Here to discuss her latest work, Best Bondage Erotica of the Year, Volume 2, is the woman herself, Rachel Kramer Bustle. Hello, and thank you for having me on. Yeah, of course. I mean, Rachel, you have quite a (laughs) list of accomplishments. Like, do you realize how much you have actually done? I have done a lot. I will say I'm 45, so I've been doing a lot of these things for like 15 to 20 years. So it is over time. So if, if that helps. But yeah, I just when I get into something, whether it's a hobby or a work thing, I just get really into it. So you know, I've just been into erotica for a long time. Yeah, great. Well, and I hope that by the time I'm 45, I have people quoting me as an expert about cupcakes, books, hoarding, sex, and dating, (laughs) which comes straight from your website. And I think those are all things to be proud of. Well, maybe not hoarding, but yes, I have (laughs) had many career incarnations. And I, I mean, I think even though, you know, we will be talking about erotica, I'm just interested in people and, you know, I'm interested in, you know, how, why people do things like sexual things, Mm -hmm. other things. And that's what I explore in my writing about my own life or if I'm talking to other people. So yeah. And it's funny because I had a blog about cupcakes for a long time and people would always ask me, is that a euphemism? Like, do you mean some (laughs) sex thing? I'm like, no, literal cupcakes that come in a wrapper that you eat, that you get at a bakery or you bake. And they'd be like, what? I don't understand. I'm like, you can be interested in erotica and cupcakes. (laughs) That's possible. Well, and you know, I mean, since, since you brought up the cupcakes, I have to ask, like, do you have a favorite cupcake or cupcake bakery to recommend? So it has been several years since I was on the cutting edge of, you know, every cupcake bakery. I mean, I didn't eat at every one, but I I did eat at a lot of them. (laughs) Um, There was a s'mores cupcake in Minneapolis that I really loved. And I feel badly because I cannot remember the name of the place. I mean, in general, I am a sucker for anything s'mores, anything peanut butter. But yes, I, I just think it was so cool and is so cool the way for so many of these bakers cupcakes 
were these works of art. Mm. And I'm a creative person, but I'm creative with words. I am not creative with visual art, (laughs) with food, with anything else. So that they could take this tiny cake and turn it into like all sorts of things. I saw one that had like the donut from the Simpsons and they would do them for holidays or to celebrate people. You know, they put people's faces. I've had my face on a cupcake at least twice, like photos and artwork. It was so cool. And um, I just, the creativity was really what kept me so interested. I mean, I loved eating cupcakes, but I will admit that after 10 years of cupcake blogging, I was a little sugared out, but I was always interested in looking at photos of them, but it was pretty cool. I mean, once I was in St. Louis visiting family and I went to a cupcake bakery and these women recognized me from my cupcake blog and we chatted and I was with my grandfather and he was like, that's so cool. Um, We have gotten totally off topic, but um, it was really fun. It was so fun. And like, it was just a small world, even though it's a huge world of cupcake bakers, it was a small world. And it's been a few years since I was really involved in the blog just because I moved on to other things. But the other day, a friend who lives near me in New Jersey brought over some cupcakes from a bakery I didn't even know existed that's in the next town over. And I was like, that's so cool. And they were really good and beautifully designed. And I was like, I want to shout them out, you know, because that is just something I used to pay attention to literally every day. Yes. I would spend an an hour or two looking up what was happening in the world of cupcakes. Well, and obviously we're here to talk about erotica and bondage, but I am always excited to talk about cupcakes, especially during this pandemic when we need to be supporting our small businesses now more than ever. Definitely. But I'm excited for when it's safe for me to do so. I will definitely be going to that cupcake shop. And I found (laughs) out that there's a local ice cream place near the cupcake shop. And I'm like, ooh, I love like mashups of desserts. And I mean, this could kind of lead into erotica because I feel like I like mashups of, of genres. And I also like mashups of, you know, like bondage, but then bondage with other things. I mean, I just think people get bored, whether it's with sex or with food of the same thing over and Mm -hmm. over, you know, eventually, especially like you said, during this time when our options for going places and doing things are limited, I think anything you can do to get out of your routines and feel like you're having an adventure, even if it's only in your own home, is a good thing. No, and that is the perfect segue into talking about erotica. And obviously, I'm excited that today we're going to talk about Best Bondage Erotica of the Year, Volume 2. But before we do that, I'd love to take you back a little bit and just ask how you got started writing erotica. Well, I I kind of feel like I fell into it. I mean, it doesn't (laughs) seem that way now because I've done so much of it. But I was actually in law school um, a long time ago in the late 90s. And I had read, I had started reading erotica a few years before that in college. And then while I was in law school, which I really didn't love, um, I was reading more erotica and getting in touch with like people who edited erotica. And I thought, I'm going to write a story for this book called Starfucker, which was about celebrity you know, fantasies. Love and it. And I wrote about Monica, Monica Lewinsky. It was called Monica and Me. Very <laughs> imaginative. This was 1999, by the way. So, it was, you know, she it was, was of the times. Then. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so I wrote this story. And this, this, the whole genesis of that story in my career also dovetails with my personal life because that story came out in 2000. And, you know, 
people read it. Um, not everyone, but I mean, it wasn't like he, the book wasn't, I don't think it was a huge bestseller, but you know, people who like erotica read it. And then anyway, three years later, I was at, a, I think it was like a, it was either a comedy show or poetry reading or something. And this woman taps me on the shoulder and, and I think I was reading, it must've been. And she said, did you write Monica and me? Or she had a note. And I was like, yes. And so it turned out she was also a fan of Monica and we started dating. And um, so, you know, like, I feel like that story really changed my life in a lot of ways. I mean, we, we are not together now, there, there's more drama that we can get into, right? <laughs> but we're friends. But we we still like follow Monica. We actually went to see her speak a few years ago together. Um, but you know, I feel like that story and getting it accepted and getting it published in a book like that was so exciting to me. Way more exciting than law school. Uh, I remember <laughs> standing in a bookstore seeing my name in the book because I hadn't gotten my author copies yet, and I remember like. Had, I had tears in my eyes because it was super exciting. Um, and that, you know, you asked me how I got into it. And I said, I fell into it. I never really wrote fiction growing up. I wrote nonfiction. I wrote articles and essays, and letters to the editor, but like fiction seemed so hard and challenging and not, not me. But for some reason, erotica did, even though it's fiction. And even now, all these years later, I still write erotica, but I don't write general fiction that much. I mean, I, I haven't published any. I've I've tried, but for some reason, like erotic stories come to me. Usually, shorts. We're talking about short stories, and they're usually pretty fully formed. Um, I don't know why why it was erotica per se that like spoke to me as a writer, um, hmm. but it did, and that was just so exciting to have that story published. And from there, I wrote more stories many of them based on either my fantasies or things that I did. And then later I branched out and by now I've written all sorts of erotica. I've written gay male erotica. I've written erotica with trans protagonists. I've written just a wide variety. I think because I wanted to challenge myself, I was like, okay, your stories are starting to sound too much the same, mm. but that kind of gets into why I got into editing or at least why I still do it. Like I, I kind of fell into that too. Someone asked me to co-edit an anthology and then someone else asked me to edit one. Um, and it's so interesting and it still remains interesting because I'm just one person with one brain, with one set of, you know, creative possibilities, even though, you know, I, I might write lots of different stories, but they're never going to be as varied as, you know, a hundred other people's creative stories because you know we all conjure up different things from wherever right. our fictional creativity comes from um and so as an editor I just get to read such like diverse and interesting and surprising stories that continue to interest me even though I've read literally thousands of them in the course of my job and for mm. pleasure it's still interesting to me because there's always new writers or new ways of putting a spin on something. And I think sex is often seen as sort of not just one thing, but maybe like it's this or this or this, you know, it's, it's and that's like it. kinky or vanilla or yeah. it's fetish or not fetish. Like it's sort of like put into these categories and really it's as varied, not just even just as varied as, 
you know, every person could have different sexual interests, but like every person could have an infinite number of sexual interests, right? Mm-hmm. So I think erotica writers tap into that. And sometimes the things they write about are their own personal interests. And sometimes it's just something that occurs to them or a character that they envision. And I think that will always and forever be interesting because people are interesting. Yeah, that's a great point because it's not only that every person who writes a story is going to have a different point of view, a different lens based off of their own experiences, but also, like you said, the fact that there are infinite ways to fantasize. There are infinite ways to have sex. I mean, there are so many different things you can do and the amount of different people that you can have those experiences with. It's a it's a never ending buffet. I love that buffet. And also, you know, I think we also assume that everyone totally understands where all their fantasies and fetishes and kinks come from. Oh, and I wish. Like knows, <laughs> knows what they mean. And sometimes I think I'm not saying you shouldn't examine your life or your desires, but sometimes there's a magic, I think, to just going with something because it turns you on without having to dissect it. And I say that I'm like a total overthinker. I obsess (laughs) over every thought I ever have. But like, I'll give an example. This is not from my life, but someone I, I once knew was turned on by the sight of women leaving the office in heels and changing back into their sneakers. And that always fascinated me because A, someone else could be turned on by the opposite, like going from the sneaker to the heels. And it it also reminds me of like one time I was wearing workout clothes and I was all sweaty and my hair's up and messy. And um, someone I was dating was like, oh, that's like a sexy look. And, you know, I would think, okay, I would probably look, sexier and you know a dress and makeup but I think that's again like we make these assumptions about what is hot or sexy or arousing and that you know you can never know what is what's turning someone else on and also I think sometimes we limit ourselves by looking at cues from sort of the outside world and all those assumptions of like who's the sexiest man alive or sexiest woman like you know who's to say it's not so-and-so or so-and-so. Right. Exactly. I'm curious, you know, you mentioned um, the fact that like, you know, we can't always explain our fantasies. And so I'm wondering, do you have a memory of one of your earliest fantasies? That is a good question. I feel like I don't have the best memory overall. So I I don't know. I might have to like come back to that. Um, okay. Do you want me to share mine with Mine with you? I would love, I would love to hear it. So I want to say that in my formative preteen years, one of the fantasies that I can recollect was about Robin Hood. And I cannot, for the life Mm. of me, tell you if it was a specific interpretation of Robin Hood, if it was the animated Fox version of Robin Hood, or if it was... (laughs) Errol Flynn and his sexy swagger. I do not know. All I know is that ever since then, there has always been a part of me that's lusted after the con artist thief character that we see so often in media. And I always want that person to win. (laughs) I love that. And I also think 
like sometimes our fantasies are things we would want to do in real life. Like you can literally picture yourself in that mm-hmm. scenario or with that person. And sometimes you know they're sort of a fantasy that just lives as a fantasy. And I think both of those can be like hot. I think sometimes yeah. people limit themselves even in their fantasy minds because they feel guilty or shame or just awkward about, you know, maybe it's because they don't know what it means or they think that the world will judge them because of, you know, if if your fantasy is like, let's say, to be part of a gangbang on either side, I mean, to be the centerpiece of it, I guess, the recipient, yeah. or to be one of the people. I actually think there's probably maybe more taboo about being one of, let's say it's 50 people or whatever, you know, I think we don't hear as much about that. I mean, we don't hear about that in general, like in the mainstream culture that much. But I'm always interested in the psychology of people who have fantasies that are less commonly talked about you right. know, in our culture. And this this something happened the other day that, that clearly is still in my mind because I'm about to tell you. But in some Facebook group I'm in, it's about books. Someone recommended this book, Jackie and Maria, which is about uh, Jackie Onassis and Maria Callas. Is it, am I even saying her name right? I'm not sure. Anyway, Jackie went on to marry Aristotle Onassis, and I guess Maria and him had had an affair. Mm-hmm. And people were somewhat, the person who was posting was like, you know, he was really ugly. What did she see in him? And people were like, money or protection. And I just thought, and I did comment this. I thought, first of all, would we say that about a woman? Like, you know, she was ugly. He was just after her money. I mean, maybe we would. But I also thought that's so reductive. I mean, I don't know anything about Aristotle and Nassus except the bare bones. I'm not saying I'm attracted to him or whatever. <laughs> I'm just saying there are an infinite number of reasons why she might have been attracted to him that we'll never know because we're not those people. Right. Or why anyone would be attracted to anyone. I think it's very judgmental to say, well, you're only attracted to that person because they're rich or they look a certain way. I mean, they might be rich and they might look a certain way, but we just don't know. And I think there's still a lot of shaming that goes on around looks, around body size and type. There, There is still a lot of assumptions about all genders, um, yes. about what attracts attractiveness means and and I think you see it in romance you also see it in erotica but you see it in mainstream culture that like you think every straight or bi or woman who's attracted to men is into a certain like six-pack body type and I think I'm especially sensitive to this because that is not my type like (laughs) skinny guys no and buff I I can get into like muscular but I am not really attracted to skinny guys unless you know there's exceptions like if someone's really funny or they have a certain thing going on I'm generally attracted to like bigger chubbier fatter guys and I feel like you know there's there's also people of various genders who are attracted to men or or women or other people of other genders who are of different sizes. And I think it's very limiting just to our cultural imagination to always assume that there's one type for everyone, because how boring is that, first of all? And it's just not true. Yeah, no. And you're right. It it is very boring, too. I mean, I'm with you. I 
I tend to gravitate more towards what I think of as a cozy, cuddly body type um, because that's I, I, I you know as much as I love to look at the washboard abs, I it just doesn't sound comfortable to to snuggle up to at night. <laughs> <laughs> and and it's like I don't shame or fault anyone oh, no. for admiring that. I can admire a photo of someone who looks like that. Or another instance, like I um I tend I mean, I'm in a relationship, so I'm not like looking. I do, but I just want to make that clear in case you have a boyfriend <laughs> who would so not be listening, but in case he was. But um like I I find ball guys sexy and I feel like there is sort of a, a underground appreciation for bald guys. But in general, like men are tend to be really self-conscious about like losing their hair. And a, I don't know, I feel like part of that is because we're fed this idea that only one way of looking, mm. especially for straight men, is what is attractive. And I, I just think whatever, whether we're talking about, you know, m- men's looks, women's looks, other, you know, other people's looks, I think there are still a lot of assumptions. I mean, it's 2021, but we're not that enlightened. We're we're more enlightened than we were, but we're not totally right. body positive in the sense that, you know, we accept all kinds of people. And I think it's, I think it's to everyone's detriment that we don't have a broader beauty, um, or or we we have still have all these beauty standards that we might think we don't. We might think we're so enlightened, but we still have them. Yeah, we're definitely making progress, but it's not it's not quite there. But um, I'm curious as a writer and I do want to talk to you about, you know, your experience editing as well. But as a writer, do you have favorite um, stories or tropes or characters or kinks that you like to write about? I do, but then I I will always try to push myself away from them because I just don't want to be boring Mm. to myself. First of all, as a writer, I've started I I used to write a lot more erotica than I do now. Now I have to be really inspired or have a like deadline or, you know, uh, or something like I I used to have tons of ideas popping into my head. And I think now I have that more with nonfiction, Mm. but I love writing about spanking. Um, That's something I don't really do as much of in my personal life now, but for a while I was like, for a long time, that was like a big part of my sex life. But also, I think spanking in particular, as an aspect of BDSM, has just so much opportunity to be written about in erotica, because there's just, there's so many sensations, there's positions, there's, you know, reasons why people are into it, there's sex toys you can use while doing it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's just so much variety. Um, and, and I think it also... It's still something that is a little counterintuitive for people who don't kind of get that kink. So I think writers who can really explain sounds very technical and teachery. I mean, <laughs> explain in the context of a fictional erotica story why spanking is arousing. Like, I will always read a good spanking story because I feel like it transports you to another place. Like, I mean, all erotica should do that, but I think spanking erotica, especially, um, that I'm always interested in bondage too, because that also has a lot of variety. Like I, as an editor and a reader, I'm a sucker for bondage with non-traditional implements. Like, I, I mean, not because I'm against traditional implements, but I think part of the 
maybe downside of having worked in erotica for such a long time is that I have read a lot of it and I like like surprises not not just for the sake of surprise but just I like stories that I wasn't expecting it to go that way or mm-hmm. I wasn't expecting that thing to be used during bondage um and I think bondage is really cool because there's just so many different kinds of bondage like you could have just a blindfold and I feel like just a blindfold sounds pejorative, but a blindfold can do a lot. You know, you Absolutely. take away someone's sight and their whole, every you know, everything changes for them. Not everything, but it affects more than just their sight, I guess is what I'm saying. And so to me, that is so interesting. And like the idea that your other senses get heightened when you're blindfolded and, um, or, or, you know, you take away if you bind someone's arms or right ankles or, or whatever even if it's just some one small thing I think sometimes newer erotica writers feel like they have to put everything in you know like have every bondage implement and every sex toy you know not every but you know what I'm <laughs> saying like like do so much and that's fine sometimes but you can also in subtle ways yeah do a lot like sexually in a story. It doesn't have to be every appendage tied. It doesn't have to be right. every sense taken away. Like it, it really, I mean, I, I totally understand what you're saying. Like there's a subtlety to just, it's almost more of a challenge. I feel like too, of just focusing on that one sense and really exploring everything yes. related to that one sense. Like you said, with spanking, like if it's just about spanking, what you know how does that feel what are the sensations what's the there's the heat and then there's also the after effects of the spanking so I mean right and there's there's like there's just so many things to play with yeah I'm not saying don't put in multiple things I mean I'm not trying to tell anyone what to write or not write but I think sometimes it's like a diminishing law of returns when it's so many things and you don't fully explore each one and so you know, as we're talking, I'm just thinking like with a blindfold, especially because, you know, you can only imagine what is happening mm-hmm. outside of the world that you can't see. Um, you know, anything could be happening and the person could be telling you something's happening that's not really happening, but making you think it is and like turning you on and you don't know. And like that is that is the kind of scenario that I will always want to read more of because I think there's so much more to it than just the physical. I mean, presumably you're doing that some with someone you trust. Right. Because, you know, you trust them that they're not going to do something unsafe or do something that triggers you or do something you don't find sexy. Like, And then if they really do know you that well, they can push your buttons with – they don't have to do that much to do that. Like they could just say like one word or one <laughs> sentence and that could be the thing that totally like gets you off. It's true. It's true. And now, obviously, um, it, it, just in case it's not clear, I'm a big fan of Rachel's work. And most notably, I've read her articles about sex and dating. And of course, I'm very familiar with the Best Women's Erotica of the Year series, which is an annual anthology series published by Cleus Press. And um, what I did not know, Rachel, though, is that you've you've traveled the world teaching erotica writing workshops. And so I'd love to know more about that and just sort of any words of wisdom that you might have for anybody looking to get started with writing erotica. 
you don't need a you know a, an advanced degree you don't need any kind of degree you also don't need specific sexual experience you don't need any sexual experience to write erotica well you need an imagination and you you might need to research certain things like if you're writing about a riding crop and have never felt a riding crop um, I'm not saying spend all your money on mm-hmm. riding crops, although uh, they are they are great if you're into them. But, you know, you can look, I would advise looking at them online or, you know, if when it's safe again, going into a sex toy store and like feeling them and, you know, waving it through the air and listening to that noise. You know, I do think there are elements that if you have experienced something, you can bring to erotica. But I, I really think it's a huge myth that you have to have experienced the things you write about um, mm. with erotica. Um, I feel like it, it's hard to say like without sounding too general, but the things that I look for in erotica are, I mean, a story arc where not, where it's not just people having sex. Cause I think sometimes that's the assumption it's like, but I put sex in it and it's like, just cause it has sex in it doesn't make it erotica. And I always go back to the dictionary definition, which is writing intended to arouse. And I would say Mm. the biggest note I give to students or to authors is, but how did it feel to them? Not just what did they do or what did the partner do to them or with them, but what were they thinking while it was happening? How did it feel physically? What was this different from anything else that they've done before? Like basically what, about this moment in time is so sexy to that character. Because going back to what we said before about how there's no universal, like, hot body type or looks, there's also no universal, like, this is a sexy thing. So going to an orgy, let's say, might be really sexy to this character. But to someone else, they might be like, oh, an orgy? I've been to a thousand orgies. Like, so what? Or, (laughs) oh, an orgy? Like, that doesn't turn me on. Like, you can't assume that just because you put a character in a certain situation, whether it's spanking or an orgy or public sex or whatever, that it's just sexy by the nature of it, them being there. You have to build that into your writing. You have to tell us who that character is because if it's the person who's been to, let's say, a thousand orgies or a hundred orgies or whatever, they might have a very different perspective than someone who's never been to one. So, and if the reader doesn't know anything about this person, they're really not going to know what's sexy about the thing that's happening. And that applies to really anything you're writing about, whether it's bondage or like a particular fetish or, um, or even just a kiss. I mean, who are these people and what, what makes them into each other and what makes this moment arousing. And that could apply to a solo scene. I've published work where it's a masturbation story. Those can be really hot too, because so much of it is about what is the person thinking about? Who are they thinking about? What do they prefer to be alone in some ways than to be with someone? That's another assumption. I think we kind of assume that it's always better, at least in fiction or even in real life, like to be with someone else. But that's not the case for everyone. Like plenty of people are perfectly satisfied, literally and figuratively on their own. And maybe they sometimes are with other people or maybe they never are. So like, I think really digging into um, the specifics of your character and not making assumptions that, that the reader 
may or may not know, you know, the reader is not going to know anything you don't put on the page. So I'm always interested in sort of what journey led someone to this moment without giving like, you know, a hundred pages of, of backstory, <laughs> but just like what about their personality or their history or their way of thinking or their whatever their reactions is driving them to this moment. And that could be, I mean, that could be a really, um, sort of surprising or momentous moment or something that the average person would be like, oh, wow, like I never thought of that before. But it could also be about, you know, having vanilla sex with your partner in the middle of the afternoon, the the same partner you've been monogamous with your whole, you know, your whole adult life. It, It doesn't really matter whether it's that scenario or the person going to the gangbang I still want to know the same things about both of those. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, I still want to know what is sexy about it for that character. And I think the more you can differentiate your characters and give them personalities and histories and really unique um, perspectives, the more memorable your story is going to be. And it's going to be one that people will think about in five or 10 or 20 years. Yes. Well, and as a reader, I, you know, it's the same thing as I, anytime I read a, an anthology of erotica, you know, I've read several of the best women's erotica of the year series and it's, you, you don't go into it expecting every story to be the same. I'm not expecting to read 10 stories back to back that are all about bondage. You know, I mean, it's, it's it's hard when when the premise of the anthology is bondage or right. spanking or whatever, because, um, you know, my job is to give readers who are into bondage, let's say, in the best bondage erotic of the year, stories about bondage, but then also to kind of give, I think my job is to give them stories that they wouldn't have expected to read yes. in, a, in a book of bondage. Yeah, surprises are hot. So I let's talk about Best Bondage Erotica of the Year, Volume 2, because it's available as of February 9th from Cleus Press. Can you give us a peek at maybe some of your favorite stories inside or a few that you're excited for people to read? I mean, I'm sure you're excited for people to read all of them, but I, yes. maybe this is like asking you to pick your favorite child no. or cupcake, but... Um, no. <laughs> I mean, with the caveat that I think any reader will have, you know, I don't, I don't really, I wouldn't really say I have favorites, but I, I think there are some that are just very, are written in a way that's like really powerful. Um, there's okay. one called Chef's Special by Emma Chatton, and it's set in a kitchen, and um, it's just, it's in the second person, and I think like this is one that a lot of early readers have really uh highlighted and I think it's there's something you know it's set in a workplace it's not a home kitchen it's a commercial kitchen and it's just it has this energy where you're like you you have to keep reading like from the very (laughs) first uh uh, moment um and I think there's something really you know powerful about that um just that voice and and kind of seeing where it where it might might go I mean you had me you had me at kitchen like I'm I'm already in it to win it with it takes place in a kitchen (laughs) I mean do you want me to read a little of it or no if you want to share I'm happy to hear it sure um so I'll just start at the beginning and then 
hopefully what I read will make you want to uh, hear more. Yes. Now, this is from Best Bond, the Jurassic of the Year, Volume 2, Chef's Special by Emma Chatton. You've had a frustrating day in and out of the kitchen. Two cooks out with the flu, a shitty server with an even shittier attitude, milk that had been left out too long, mold on one of the cases of strawberries that came in, so all of them had to be tossed, and then getting slammed with dinner guests who had nothing better to do than to carefully rearrange the dishes, which you had put so much thought into, because after all, it shouldn't be any problem for the chef to switch out the risotto for quinoa, right? You're angry, and anyone who's around you knows it, and anyone who knows you well knows to stay the hell away from you when you're like this. Slamming, mixing bowls and pots in frustration against the prep table didn't help. Most everybody had gone home, had gone for the night, but you were still there, pulling out a bunch of apples and peeling them for something you hadn't even decided what to make yet, to replace the strawberries for whatever it was you hadn't even decided to make with those yet either. Only one of your sous chefs was around, quietly avoiding you as he picked up what was left of tonight's kitchen. I first of all, I'm I'm hooked on the fact that it's written in second person point of view because I feel like I don't I don't read that enough in in fiction. So I'm excited about that. Indeed. Okay, so there there's I feel like I just read you guys like an angry section, but just picture <laughs> two people kind of fired up working in this kitchen and some sexy things later do happen. It's, it was hard for me to like find a place to like jump in with like the sexy part. And so, yeah, I just really, I, as an editor, it, people always ask me like, what do you want to see from, you know, if, if, mm-hmm. if they're going to submit story to me. And I, I write very detailed guidelines on my website, which rachelkramerbustle.com. If you go there now, you will probably see some guidelines to an anthology. Yes. They're pretty detailed. But at the same time, I don't say like, I want to see a story set in a dungeon and one set in a, you know, whatever, a park and one set because I don't want to be too specific because there are things that writers might come up with that I never would have thought of. And that's the case, literally with every one of the anthologies I've, um, I've published, like, there's just details and images and scenarios that I I couldn't have come up with. And I'm going to read you just like the first paragraph of another story that is a really, I would say, soulful story, but also super kinky. And I like this one because it's about a relationship. And I this is I'm not going to say it's a pet peeve, because it's not it's not that I don't like this. It's just the vast majority of people who send me stories. I would say it's something like maybe 80% could be more I don't actually count, but send me stories about single people who, you know, meet and get together and hook up in some way. And sometimes Mm. they wind up together and that's great. But I would love to see more stories about relationships, partly because I'm in a long-term relationship, but even more so for what we were talking about before with variety. I think there's an inherent drama in meeting someone and going from not knowing them or being friends with them to being naked with them. Of course, there's like that process there I think I get why writers are drawn to that because they have so much to work with but I think it's just as interesting to think about people who've already been naked with each other who might have been together for you know whether it's six weeks or six years or 60 years 
And what is sexy to them? Like what's next? Yes. What do, how do they keep that going? And what's changed from the beginning to now? Like those are all questions that A, I think readers deal with in their own lives, many of them, but also are just interesting from a fictional perspective. And the the way sex changes over the course of a relationship, the way desire, kink, all those things change. And also the way people change. Like one yeah. person might stay the same in some way and the other might change. And how do they grow as a couple or try yeah. out or whatever they're in? Like that is, I think, always interesting because – that's just people, like it's I said, real. People, people are interesting and it is real. And how do they grapple with those things? And, you know, if you're writing literary fiction, you might look at those questions differently under the guise of erotica. We look at what's arousing about that and how do right. they, you know, deal with changes good or bad, you know, but I think sometimes we assume that it's only like the single or unattached people who are living it up and having like a great sex life. And I feel like that's not, not only not true, but you know, I don't want, if I'm, if I have room for 20 or 25 stories, it's not going to be as interesting if they're all like a meet cute. I want couples or the, the relationships and I want to, I want to see how those evolve. I'm with you. I love that. I I call them lived in, lived in relationships. Yes. (laughs) I love that. And sometimes they're parents, sometimes they're not like, there's so many also, again, like, you know, I said, there's so many different types of people. There's so many different types of relationship styles and ways people interact. And I think we sometimes assume, well, you, you're coupled up, you live with someone, that's how your relationship is. And honestly, like, there's as many kinds of ways of being in a relationship as there are people too. Mm -hmm. So this is a little bit of day 730 by Rebecca E. Blanton. 729 days had passed since Chloe had been collared. Her collaring ceremony had been one of the happiest days of her life. It surpassed graduating college, her 21st birthday blowout, finding out she was pregnant and the day she'd met Lou. Each of the following 728 times she knelt to be collared by Lou, she thought momentarily of her collaring ceremony. No matter what the day brought, no matter what was on her to-do list, no matter how broke or stressed or tired she was, dropping to her knees to take her collar centered her and brought joy. And the story goes on to explore, you know, pushing their limits and what that collaring means in the long term and you know it's very specific to these characters but I think it does touch on some of the things we were just talking about yeah I think another this is sort of more a myth about readers but I think there's this idea in our culture that if you read erotica about knife play or butt plugs or bondage or whatever it is that you want to do those things and that you like, or that only like people who self-identify as kinky would want to read kinky erotica. And that is not to say that plenty of people who share those things might also want to read about those things. But I think it's, it's productive to assume that what you read about or what you fantasize about or what could turn you on in a story is says something essential about who you are it might just be that you like to read those things I read a ton of murder mysteries and I am the least violent person (laughs) ever so 
you know, and I don't know exactly why I enjoy them. I mean, I could probably, you know, sit here and analyze it. Um, but I, I just kind of want to enjoy them. And I'm not saying we shouldn't take a critical eye to like right. culture and writing, but I think there's some aspects where if you enjoy it and it's not hurting anyone else and you are a reading, I guess, responsibly, um, you know, you're, you're reading diversely, you're, you're, you're not putting problematic ideas out into the world. Yes. Um, you know, like, then I think there's nothing wrong with just appreciating the things you appreciate and also letting yourself be surprised by things that, you know, you, you, a story that might turn you on, even though in real life, you might be turned off by that thing. It's very true. Well, and we've been we've been, you know, doing this podcast for over a year now and we've talked about collaring. We've talked about uh, being owned and uh, pet play and, um, you know, I mean, a little bit of everything like from uh, fetish for food insects to why people are attracted to serial killers. So there you you might have to take a look at that one, Rachel, to figure Mm -hmm. out why you love your your murder mysteries. Mm -hmm. But um, no, it's. It's true. Like, uh, you know, we've we've said it time and time again that as long as you're if you act on your fantasies in a safe and consensual way there and everybody involved is, you know, privy to what's going on, there's no reason you can't bring them to life. But at the same time, if it's something that you just want to read about and think about and masturbate to, there's nothing wrong with that either. Right. And I think, you know, a lot of people over the years, because I was a sex columnist for the Village Voice for a long time. For a while and I've written about you know sex in various ways people will email me strangers and tell me things and they'll say things like I can't tell my husband or wife about this or you know I never I have shame about this and mm. that makes me really sad yeah me too because I feel like I, I wouldn't say that I'm sort of trying to send any kind of message with my books because they're entertainment first and foremost but I do hope that putting erotica out into the world and really putting any kind of sexual information out into the world, whether it's fiction or nonfiction, um, I hope that that is creating a world where people don't have that shame because that I don't think we're born with that shame. I think we're taught that. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And it's time for that to change. And it can, everybody can start by picking up a copy of Best Bondage Erotica of the Year, Volume 2, and perusing, you know, all of the many stories inside. Thank you for giving us a taste of what to expect. It sounds delicious to start with. (laughs) You're very welcome. Now that Valentine's Day is coming up, and obviously we're, you know, almost a year into this pandemic, um, you know, you mentioned it yourself that there's, there's a lot of people out there, whether you're partnered up or not, who are always looking to spice things up a little bit. And I'm curious if you could speak to, you know, and then we'll wrap things up, just like the benefits of what erotica might do and how it might inspire some creativity with you and your partner or partners in the bedroom. I think there's something really freeing about erotica because not that you couldn't also get this from nonfiction, but in a different way, erotica takes you out of your own life and into someone else's life and you know, whether you're seeing yourself as one of the characters in the erotica or just sort of appreciating it in a voyeuristic way, um, I think it can just 
let you explore things in your mind first and perhaps with a partner if you're reading it together or listening to erotica together it could just broaden your thoughts on what turns people on um and it can just you know whoever you are whatever your life experiences have been they've only been the summary of you know your specific life mm-hmm. and i think erotica and why i like anthologies is you get to peek into these other people's fictional lives and most likely some of them or all of them have done things that you haven't done. And I think that that's just always, um, always a, a, a positive, whether or not you specifically like are turned on or like the story. I think it's always a good thing to just be exposed to other, ex- other ways of approaching sex because you know, maybe you'll find something that turns you on or maybe you'll just learn something and be like, that's fascinating that people are turned yeah. on by whatever it is. Like my one of my favorite ones, and I don't even remember what story it was called, but this friend of mine who writes erotica, who I've published a few times, Ella Elise Bland, she wrote a story about stinky cheese and a guy having to eat this like specialized, maybe semi-illegal stinky cheese off a of Dom's boot or something and it was so fascinating because first of all she has like maybe not a phd but she's she's like a a scholar of cheese she knows like everything about cheese so the details about what this cheese was were really specific and (laughs) i didn't i didn't even follow them i was like wow i didn't know cheese had so many variations but um just there were so many psychological levels to that like you know him wanting to do that and her you know, going to these lengths, this wasn't just like someone went to the grocery store and got, you know, whatever blue cheese is there. It it was a specialized (laughs) thing. And I'm always interested in like a really specialized plan or fantasy that gets enacted. Uh, So I I don't even remember what the question was. I love that. How people can (laughs) use erotica at home. I just think whether or not a scenario like that turns you on personally or not I think there's value in just especially as a couple exploring other ways of of approaching sex and maybe that leads to a discussion like were you into that were you into that well I was maybe a little into this part but not into this part it might lead to those discussions or it might just lead to like each of you picturing something in your mind and then coming together and you know, having whatever kind of sex you might have, or if you're not partnered, you know, thinking about what kind of sex you want to have or, or having sex with yourself. Um, I, I mean, as much as the pandemic has put a damper on a lot of areas of our lives, sexual and otherwise, I do think it's opened people up to being be approaching people online who may or may not live where you live, but mm-hmm. maybe they have something else in common with you. I think people are more open to, okay, it doesn't have to be that I'm on an app looking to meet someone because it's not necessarily safe to meet someone, but maybe I just want to converse or video chat or whatever, have phone sex or video sex or whatever with someone. And they might live in another country and you might never meet them in person and that's okay too. Yeah. Again, it does not have to be the meat cute that leads to the happily ever after story. We have that and it's it's wonderful, but the, you know, the erotica does not have to be that. Yeah. And I think that's probably the biggest difference between like erotica and romance. And I, I read both of them and sometimes erotica does have that. But I think the fact that it 
it can be open-ended and it, and it, it isn't sort of tied to that, um, you know, coupledom right. is, is it leaves more room for just all kinds of possibilities. And maybe that is like four people living together. I would love to read more about polyamorous, mm. um, relationships where it's a triad or four people or more people like who live together and that doesn't have to mean I think also people think like in erotica everything always has to be perfect and running smoothly like people can argue or have disagreements or um, miscommunications and then resolve them you know in erotica like it doesn't have to be every second everyone's having like an orgasm. You know? <laughs> I mean, if they are okay, but That's you know what I mean. That's fine like, too. <laughs> you can have drama and conflict, yes. and then also literal and figurative happy endings. Yeah. Oh well, and if that's not the perfect happy ending to this episode, I don't, I don't know what is. So, um, you know, as a final reminder, Best Bondage Erotica of the Year, Volume Two, it's available now. And Rachel, what's coming up next for you? Are there any other, um, you know, publishing projects in the works? What are you accepting submissions for? There are, and I will say, uh, first the print ebook of. Best Bondage Erotica of the Year coming out February 9th. And then after that, there'll be an audiobook in mm. the summer in July. I have coming soon women, women's orgasm erotica, which is coming soon. I love saying coming soon I is coming it. soon. Um, <laughs> and then I have Best Bondage Erotica of the Year volume seven out in December. And that touches the theme of that is what we just discussed, which is surprise which I pick that theme because I love surprises. So those are going on. And then I have some more next year. I am teaching an erotica writing class online for the sex shop Shebop, um, March 28th. And I'm working on a longer course that I'll be teaching on my own platform that um, I don't know. I don't want to promise you a date, but soon. <laughs> Fantastic. So, uh, follow me online or subscribe to my newsletter to find out about that. Okay. And she mentioned it already, but it's rachelkramerbustle.com. And where can people find you on the socials? On the socials, Rachel Kramer Bustle on Instagram and Raquelita on Twitter are the ones that I'm on the most. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for joining me and talking all about one of my favorite genres, erotica. And I hope everybody picks up a copy and has a nice, you know, sexy, smutty Valentine's Day. (laughs) Me too. Whether you're looking to buy or sell used panties, Sophia Gray has got you covered. If you want to earn some extra cash, you can set up your own shop in minutes and start selling your own used underwear. And they take no commission. You'll keep 100% of every single sale that you make. If you've got a kink for used panties and you're looking to buy your next pair, look no further. The whole process is completely anonymous. Sophia Gray will never share, store, or archive your personal information. The name Sophia Gray won't even appear on your bank receipt. So head on over to sophiagray.com to start selling or buying used panties now. If you're a fan of the podcast, we hope you'll subscribe on your favorite podcast streaming platform. You can also leave us a review on Apple Podcasts to let us know what you think. And while you're at it, feel free to share your feedback or questions by sending an email to podcast at sophiagray.com. Until next time, I'm Tracy Bust. And I'm Lacey Bloom. And we're here to say, let them be kinky. There is no kink shaming here.